Lisa is suffering from environment-related despair. Oh, it's even worse when you know it has a name. Now, don't worry. She'll be fine after years of expensive treatment. And we have a new drug to combat this syndrome. Ignore it all. Huh? Lisa's a little young to be taking happy pills. Oh, go ahead. Numb me. Dad does... Dad does... Drugs. Dad does drugs. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Dad Does Drugs. It's been a busy week. I travelled to London on the same day as thousands of Frankfurt fans. Them to get knocked out of the Europa League by Chelsea. Me to meet a psychologist to talk about cannabis and its effect on mental health in young people. Anyway, our paths crossed and I was stuck in traffic for ages because lots of these Larry German fans streamed past our cars on their way to Stamford Bridge. Perhaps a bit of cannabis might have mellowed them out. Anyway, the full interview with psychologist and podcaster Dr Susie Gage, who I was in London to see, will be in next week's episode. But this week I'm focusing on girls and drugs. So I asked Susie a bit about whether there are different things to worry about when it comes to our daughters. I think it's amazing how little we know about how drugs affect women and actually um, Caroline Criado Perez has just written an amazing book called Invisible Women which is all about the way that research, well sort of what's it called, the gender data gap is how she puts it, of how so much medical research is, well research in general but medical research for the purposes of this conversation is done on men as a kind of men and other, women being kind of other, sort of extra. And that's true with a lot of cannabis research. Certainly, so I've done a lot of research into the link between cannabis and psychosis, and the largest um, study of the association between cannabis and psychosis by far has been done in um, Swedish conscript study. So obviously it's all men. So, and that's where this idea that cannabis might increase the risk of psychosis came from this one study that was entirely in men and then it was backed up by a study in Israel that was also in conscript so again in men so I think yeah the research is is just not as good for women so we know far less about how drugs affect women but yes there's also this very much sort of cultural judgment and I guess thinking about alcohol I mean I turned 21 in the year 2000 which is like peak lad culture peak Mm. booze culture and and very much sort of it was expected that women would drink as much as men kind of and it's really dangerous yeah i am a lightweight just regardless of alcohol dehydrogenase or being a small woman i am also a lightweight (laughs) it's fine cheap well I don't like drinking anything other than beer generally and certainly if I was going to go out to a thing where I think I'm going to be having a few drinks whereas uh, culturally women would tend to be holding a wine glass and you know if you have wine in it then that's a good deal stronger and things like that so just the things if, if I'm thinking about how my children are going to grow up uh, you know they've, they've finished their GCSEs they want to have a drink with friends well uh, you wouldn't want to buy a bottle of wine for your daughter necessarily because you can't moderate the drinking whereas if you've had two cans of lager you know that your son is sort of not going to he hasn't had much alcohol you know yeah although I don't know whether that's 
I mean, you definitely you, you consume less liquid if you're drinking stronger drinks like wine. Um, so yeah, there's more chance you can drink more sort of physically in terms of the amount of liquid that you've consumed, at least with the sort of relatively weak fizzy lager. It's hard to actually drink too much of it before you start feeling kind of bloated whereas with wine I guess you've got more room for it yeah but nowadays we have such strong craft beers can be so strong that actually you might be drinking far more than you realize I think it's amazing when the unit system that we use is based on like seven and a half percent wine or something I don't oh, even think okay, you can really? buy that anymore yeah or like three percent beer which is very also very hard to buy these days drinks are getting stronger but also the thing that I'm really pleased about is how non-alcoholic beers are getting better and there's more availability mm. for kind of drinking. When you, If you want to go out and socialise but you don't want to get drunk, you can kind of, you can do that much more easily these days. And what we're seeing in the numbers is that certainly young people are doing that. They're drinking less alcohol than when I was their age, my cohort were drinking. And... Um, drinking less than yeah drinking less than young people used to in the past and drinking far less than older people are drinking now certainly the thing that seems to be worrying is that drinking is going up in sort of middle-aged and late middle-aged groups right one thing that i think i've noticed chatting to my son he he as an individual is interested in being a police officer so he's he i think he's 13 he's heard of drugs but he's got absolutely no interest he's not his kind of social group are not the ones sneaking out to smoke fags behind the bike sheds and that sort of thing so at the moment it's not on his radar and i suspect that he as an individual is quite um bloody minded about things so i think he he, he could just decide he's not going to do that whereas i see my daughters particularly my 11 year old is very social mm -hmm. it's a big whirl of what are all the other girls doing and so i i, I worry about her as a girl growing up and the being influenced to yeah. experiment and try things because I think boys and girls must I, I, I initially I suppose before I started doing this thought boys take risks he's the he's the risk mm. uh, whereas I'm not sure maybe maybe actually girls might quietly be being risky <laughs> yeah I think it's there's definitely different patterns but like girls and boys definitely both take risks as teenagers but the risks might not necessarily be the same mm. But certainly when I was a teenager, um, it was just when kind of smoking in young people was beginning to decline, but it was girls were more likely to start smoking before boys, which had, it was the first time it had happened. Right. And it was perhaps because cigarettes were kind of being marketed in a different way, as well as different kind of pressures and peer groups and, you know, all of this kind of thing. And, and probably lad culture was also involved in this kind of like ladette culture as well. Yeah. Um, that girls are just as good as boys, if not better, at getting drunk or smoking fags, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's probably... So much of it is down to personality and, and individuals as well. I'm sure there are plenty of boys who are really kind of led by their peer group and plenty of girls who are bloody-minded, you yeah. know. So yes. I do think there's, yeah, there are probably gender differences, but also a lot of similarities too yeah one of the things i remember from the podcast uh, that when you're chatting to jenny valentish so she's a, a journalist who i think was had various addictions herself yeah. and, and sort of then wrote a, a big long book um woman of substance yeah uh, substances substances right and <laughs> uh and one of the things she said was that sort of whereas you might get boys who go um and leap off cliff edges 
uh, as they're risk taking yeah. girls might do slightly more quiet devious shoplifting or or drug taking as their way of, of risk taking because it i don't know it's not such a testosterone fueled big show yeah. off thing it's a more yeah. female orientated way of being deviant i guess yeah and again obviously there are individual differences but probably at group levels there might be those kind of yeah divisions right yeah interesting for the for the episode that i'm looking at with girls and, and drugs and women and drugs i'm speaking to a mum who whose daughter died at mutiny festival last year so and it seems like a common story a, a, you know a girl who's perhaps only 17 18 takes a drug like mdma and then there's an overdose and i know that there there are plenty of young boys that where that happens mm -hmm. to as well but it are, are girls um uh do, do drugs react worse in 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 girls' bodies, then, or do girls' bodies react worse to illicit drugs? You know, do you, do you think? It's really difficult to say um, because, as I say, there, there's so little, there's so little evidence about illicit drugs anyway. And then when we start to sort of think about dividing by gender, it gets even smaller. And research is more commonly done in men than women. Mm. So, in terms of MDMA, as it seems like in recent years the strength of tablets or powder has got much stronger than it used to be 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. And this is really increasing the risk, particularly for small women, because of the like the size that you are and how quickly you metabolize things. Obviously there are individual differences and people metabolize drugs in different ways. And we don't, we know a bit about why that is, but for illicit drugs, we know less, but it does seem to be that, yeah, young women who are still small could be particularly at risk perhaps because of their size but perhaps as you say and like with alcohol it might be that there are different levels of of proteins and what have you that can also impact it but i don't i don't know and I, to be honest i don't think there is that research that kind of level of knowledge yet Lots more from Dr. Susie Gage next week and the episode of her brilliant podcast, Say Why to Drugs, where she interviews that author, Jenny Valentish, that I mentioned about women and drugs is really interesting. So I would recommend you listen to that. So as Susie says, there hasn't been much research done into specifically girls' reaction or women's reaction to drugs, but there has been some. I referred to there a study which suggests that women need less alcohol to get drunk than men do because they have less alcohol dehydrogenase, the enzyme that breaks down booze in their stomachs. Heavy drinking women are more at risk of liver damage as well. This is interesting. The female response to cocaine is different to the males, so girls are 25% more sensitised to it, which means they're more likely to develop a craving for it, but the higher levels of oestrogen that women have during the first part of their menstrual cycle makes their blood vessels more flexible. One of the dangers that male cocaine addicts face is a restriction of blood flow to the brain. But if you've got flexible blood vessels, that's not such a problem. So interesting, women might get more attracted to cocaine, but it might do them less harm. Hmm. Until about 10 years ago, nearly all drugs, even ones aimed specifically at women, were routinely tested only on men. My goodness. Women respond to painkillers differently to men. So uh, if you're a woman, you'll find more relief on an opiate-based painkiller, where men get better relief from something like ibuprofen. 
I got a bunch of that information from an article in The Guardian, so I'll put a link to that on the page for the podcast. And another article, which is a bit more tongue-in-cheek, that I'll put a link to as well, is from Vice. And uh, there's three kind of useful uh, facts there, a couple of them relevant to boys as well as girls. But uh, the girl-specific one, don't take drugs when you're on your period. Then uh, here's an interesting one. Be wary of boys and their motivations and reactions when on drugs. I guess we're all aware of how lascivious blokes can get when they've had a few drinks and I think probably their motivations to get you on drugs or to get your drugs off you uh, yes it'll all be clouded uh, the later the night goes on and then that brings us to the the third uh, of their rules which is nothing good ever happens after 5am I think that can be applied to everybody not just girls Uh, so go home Uh, you're safer there so that's all interesting for the grown-ups this week i've decided to give my son a week off i'm going to talk to my daughters instead first six-year-old hattie (laughs) (laughs) you don't need to stop smiling you're allowed to smile it's not a serious conversation Um, first thing i wanted to say was thank you for doing the recording that you did a few weeks ago where you say dad does drugs because that's on every podcast that everybody hears you every episode so thank you for doing that do you know what drugs means no do you know what a drug is is it something about smoking yeah that would be a, a drug cigarettes would be a drug a drug basically is a medicine or a thing that you might put in your body you know so it might be a tablet or it might be... Um, like smoking. A li- or it might be the cigarettes that you suck on, you know, the smoke that you suck in. Mm-hmm. Or it might be a drink. You know, like medicine is a drink sometimes, isn't it? But also wine is a, a type of drug. So it's something that you put in your body that has an effect on your body. So mm-hmm. can you think of any medicines that you know the name of? No. What one do you take if you've mm-hmm. got a headache or something? What do you have out of the bottle? Cowboy. Yeah. And then there's another one called ibuprofen. Oh, yeah. What do they do, those medicines? They help you get better and they help you stop having hay fever and headaches. Yeah, yeah, they do, yeah. So Calpol and ibuprofen are really good for aches and pains, aren't they? They stop things hurting. And then Credence, your brother, takes and mum takes hay fever tablets Yeah. Uh, to stop them sneezing and coughing and spluttering and uh, when they get all the pollen up their nose and and then there's other medicines so like if you've got ill then sometimes you'd go to the doctors and they give you a medicine which is called an antibiotic and that kills bugs inside you so that actually kills the germs so there's lots of different medicines and drug is just another word for medicine really Um, but also some drugs aren't medicines they're things like like you said, smoking or yeah. wine uh, might be another one, or beer. Um, <laughs> and drugs and medicines can do all sorts of things. So you might take a medicine that could stop you hurting, like Calpol, or you might take one that might help you sleep. Some people need a medicine to help them mm-hmm. sleep, or another one to make them happier, mm-hmm. or one to stop them farting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and most medicines come from the doctor. And the doctor only gives them to one person. So if you have some medicine to stop you farting, 
then I shouldn't take it because it's just for you and it might might make me explode or it what happens if you drink the cowpaw? Well, if you drink too much of a medicine, like Calpol, you may you be ill. You know, we have to measure out that syringe of medicine. Yeah. So if you have too much, then it'll make you sick. It can make you... Uh, yeah. And if I take a medicine that's for you, or if you take a medicine that's for me, then that might make you ill. You shouldn't take someone else's tablets, and you certainly shouldn't take a tablet that you don't know what it is. So if you see a tablet and you think, oh, that looks like a sweetie... Don't take it, because it might not be... It, it might be really dangerous. Do you remember this morning what you did? With my lunchbox. Not your lunchbox thing, no. That was another cheeky trick. Uh, do you remember that thing that was on the table and you said, can I try it? No. Do you remember that thing that you put up your nose? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and what did you do with it? Um, I went crazy. Yeah, why? What did you do? What did you have to do with the thing first? You put it up your nose and then you sniffed, didn't you? Yeah. And then what happened? And then I just felt so weird. Yeah, so that was a um, um, a Vix inhaler. So that was a thing that put some, a kind of medicine up in your nose, a drug to unblock it if you've got a really blocked nose. As you breathed in, it was really strong, wasn't it? It made your nose hurt. <laughs> so sometimes medicines can be bad if, you, if they're not for you. So the, the, the safety message is don't ever take something if you don't know what it is, if it's not for you. Really what it is, I just want to see what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it hurt your nose, didn't it? And what was your other trick that you did this morning? Um, about the lunch? Yeah. I snuck a banana molar spy into my lunchbox. Without me knowing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you had a time-out bar and... A banana bar. Cheeky. Um, thank you for talking to me. I think that's probably everything you need to know about no drugs more. and medicines. I know more. Well, you're only six, so I think it'll be too complicated to tell you any more. But... If you ever want to ask me anything about the podcast or anything about drugs or medicines, you can ask me any time. OK? OK? I was just reading that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you too. So that was Hattie. I'll speak to my eldest daughter, Coco, a little bit later too. On this episode about girls and drugs, I went to speak to a woman who's been thrown into a world of campaigning for drug awareness and education about drug safety and first aid in the worst possible way. Her daughter died of a drug overdose. Georgia Jones died at Mutiny Festival in Portsmouth a year ago this month, May 26, 2018, after taking just two ecstasy tablets. Georgia's mum is Janine Milburn, and I went to see her at her home shortly before Christmas, just over six months on from her daughter's death. Thank you for talking to me. Do you want to start with telling me about Georgia and just let me know about her? Yeah. <laughs> um, she was a typical 18-year-old kid, adult. She, she loved her mates, hanging out with her friends, going to restaurants, cinema, all that sort of thing. Um, the old house party, 
that she'd rather sort of go out for a meal than, than go and get drunk and things sort of like right. that. Um, extremely loud, <laughs> extremely stubborn. <laughs> um, yeah, just typical, typical teenager girl. Right. Totally through and, and through. Had you sort of got on all right together? You know, had it been a rocky road through teenage years? How you... She wasn't the easiest. Okay. She didn't do anything horrendous or, or that sort of side of things. It was more sort of attitude with yeah. her. Um, but yeah, no, she was she was coming out the other end, growing up and and sorting things out. Yeah. And what was she looking forward to about mutiny? Was were there any bands that she, or acts that she particularly wanted to see? Um, I think she did, although I wouldn't have a clue to yeah. be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it was more sort of something she talked to her siblings about right. than than me. But yeah, I knew she was excited. It's all she spoke about for about a month before. Right. Yeah. Um, and who did she go with? You don't have to tell me their names, but obviously siblings. But did, was she there with I mates as well? I don't know. I don't. That, that's the one thing we don't know. Okay. Um, she obviously gave me a couple of names. Like I said, she she had about six or seven different groups of friends. Right. And she'd sort of hover from one to the other. So she said to me, I don't know. Say so she was meeting Chloe. There was probably about six Chloes that she knew. So I don't actually know who she met. Her sister went as well. But again, siblings, you don't see each other in public. That's of course. <laughs> that's yeah. a no-no. But yeah, so yeah, that's the one thing we don't know is who she went with. Have have many um, people, you know, friends of hers, got in touch with you then since? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I talked to a few of them, and it's sort of I think it helps them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then what happened on the day? What did? How did you find out something was up? Where they. Uh, her sister's boyfriend had actually dropped her off at about midday um, down at the site and she was meeting some people there mm. and her sister then went down later on um, and then I think we got a phone call about five, maybe just after five from Danny, our sister, saying, um, Mum, Mum, Georgia's fitting. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, but my husband's epileptic so I've sort of Although a fit is scary, it's okay. We we deal yes, with it, sort of thing. Before, yeah. yeah. Um, and I spoke to one of the paramedics that was there dealing with her, and he said, "Don't rush down. Wait until we know exactly where she's going." Um, although QA's just down the road, he was unsure as to whether she'd go sort of Southampton or something like that, depending right. on what they did. And I was like, okay. So while I was waiting for another phone call. Danielle's boyfriend had turned up and he said, I'll take you down there because I've never I, I've never been to festivals, I've never been to Mutiny, I don't know where anything is, so I could have wandered around for half an yeah. hour and missed everything. Um, but, yeah, he took me down there. My husband stayed here um, and I literally got there just as her feet were going in the ambulance. Um, so I then got in the front of the ambulance Danielle stayed at Mutiny because I said, I'll just let you know what happens, stay there. Um, And, yeah, we we went off to QA. Um, They were sort of saying in the ambulance, then it's it's not looking good. I'm like, okay, obviously dying hadn't sort of crossed my mind. I thought, okay, we'll deal with whatever sort of the outcome is. And then when we got there, they said to me, like, do you want to come through 
to resource or do you want to go in another room um, and being a carer I know sometimes when you're trying to work on someone and things like that not that family get in the way but I suppose it slows you process down a little bit okay. uh, so I'm like no it's okay I'll go and wait in the room so you can just get on with do what you've got to do um, I knew she was incubated at that point and I knew that she'd been fitting um, it must have been I don't know about 20 minutes and the, the consultant came through and he'd said to me um, basically explained what's happening and with the fits because her fits was a violent um, basically the body sort of said I, I can't cope anymore so it started shutting itself down the the tablets she'd taken which we know she'd taken because in and out of consciousness with her sister she'd sort of said I've had to cut the tablets yeah again we didn't know which at the time but you assume MDMA and and go from there um, but they'd sort of then sent her temperature through the roof. At one point, they couldn't even read her temperature. It had gone that high. And because it's like a false reading, it's very hard to bring it back down. Um, whereas if you're ill and your temperature goes up, you can normally bring it down. Okay. So what then happens with the fitting and the temperature, the muscles start to break down. So basically they start dissolving. And because they're dissolving, it turns the blood acidic and then obviously your blood goes through the whole of your body so it then causes problems in every other area um, at which point I think her heart had already stopped twice which they just about managed to bring up back the second time obviously her brain had problems her liver, her kidneys um, they all had abrasions and things like that going on anyway he went off um, came back again it was probably about another 20 minutes and he sort of said we, we thought we had her sort of under control um, but she's her heart stopped again and he's sort of like we really struggled this time um, we need to sort of if you want to get family here you need to start thinking about getting them here I was like okay uh, at which point I called my husband Danielle her other sister Charlotte um and sort of spread the word because uh, mm. they've also got four um, siblings from my husband's side mm. and we managed to get everyone at the hospital um, literally just in time because um, he then came back again and he sort of said look we're we're fighting a losing battle here he tried talking to other people on the phone specialists to see if there was something else he could maybe give her to help but the there was nothing and what then happened finally was her lungs started filling with fluid blood vomit so yeah there's sort of no going back then and, and again her heart had stopped another I think two times during that sort of space so yeah we, we then took it in turns and sort of did our goodbyes and we turned the machine off oh, um, which to be honest didn't, didn't take long at all and I think she was pronounced dead at about 20 past 8 so as well, the whole process is extremely quick yeah. for her. Um, I mean, since I've spoken to another woman, and, and I mean, her son took two days in hospital to die. Okay. So it, again, it's a process that's different for everybody, but um, hers was very quick. And then was, 
Was there all sorts going on around you then? Did you have just time or, or were you, did the police want to talk to you? Did, did, did they want to shut down the festival quite quickly after that? How did all of that happen? Um, we literally had been turned off and they said, we're going to bring her through and put her in, a, in another room. And there's a big family room sort of opposite. They said, there's, you don't need to rush off anywhere. You can stay as long as you need to stay and sort of pop in and out as you please. Yeah. So we were there till I think about half past 11 anyway. Um, and in that time, the police had come and spoken to us. Uh, they had her belongings. And we also found out, as we now know, Tommy mm. had also been taken in. Um, and by the time we left, he died as well. And there was another person that had been taken in as well. As far as I know, they pulled through and they're okay. Um, but I don't know who that person was. Um, and the police have sort of said then that they'd heard of a bad batch going round. Was there any chance we knew what she'd taken? Um, they had her phone, but none of us knew her PIN, so we couldn't unlock her phone. Um, so they, they took that off, um, and, and that was sort of it. Um, I think it was decided after sort of through talking to Mutiny and everything now, I think they decided after Tommy had been taken that it's time to sort of maybe let tonight finish and cancel tomorrow, wow. and they discussed it all then, um, and, yeah, cancelled the next day. Wow. Oh, you must have just been in complete shock. How were the next few weeks then? I mean... As we sort of left the hospital, it was quite funny in one way i mean i don't know if you remember we had a huge um, electric storm that night there was no thunder but there was a lot of lightning right and as we were coming out of the hospital which is up on the hill you could sort of see mutiny down the bottom um and i think they were just letting off fireworks and with that a big electrical storm sort of went through and we were like oh, okay george is up there partying already um which is our sort of sense of humor as yeah. such um my way of dealing with things is very much do what you've got to do and and get things done. Right. Um, over the sort of that weekend, we obviously had a lot of journalists contact us via the door, emails, Facebook, um, which was all a bit overwhelming. Yeah. We're very much sort of a private family and that sort of thing. I'd rather be in the middle of a field than in the middle of town. It's right. Yeah. It's, bit overwhelming in that sense yeah and how did you find or did you hear it on the radio see it on the tv look at the papers or did you want to avoid it how, how did you find all that personally I put what I put on Facebook um, the day after she died because um, I th at the time I didn't know it had actually been cancelled and I thought oh my god people are going to be going the next day yeah. I know she was due to be going the next day. If there is something horrid going around, it could happen to someone else. Yeah. So after we told uh, my mother-in-law, who was out of the country at the time, I sort of put it on Facebook because I'd always sort of had people as well sort of saying, was that Georgia? I heard it was her, but was it her? Um, and I thought it, it stops everything in one go. And again, when I put it on Facebook, I, I put it in detail. Um, because if you say someone just died, it sort of it dwindles off. Mm. Whereas you remember 
sort of facts I suppose it, it makes people think a little bit more in that yeah. sense especially kids they like gore they like the disgusting bits and hopefully it sort of sinks in a bit more um, but yeah after that sort of I I suppose I was on Facebook a lot and for me personally it helped me deal with things in that way yeah I, I'm yes I saw a couple of the papers and saw it a couple of times on the telly um, which didn't worry me at all because I think because I'd done what I'd done, it was the facts going out there rather than people making things up. Yeah. Um, so it didn't worry me in that way. Um, but, yeah, I was sort of attached to my phone and Facebook for the next few weeks. Right. And and how, what sort <clears throat> of things did you feel? Uh, you know, I guess it probably has changed over the, over the months. You know, have you been angry have you wanted have you blamed anyone uh, are you sort of uh, upset at, at some system or some people somewhere that something that's failed or or do you just think it was a awful accident how have you kind of processed it, it? was an uh, a horrendous accident and the only person i can truly blame is georgia um being the personality she was if she really really didn't want to do something she wouldn't have done it I said she was very stubborn, very obnoxious, so she wouldn't have done it. Although, being a teenager, you also have peer pressure and things like that. So I'm not saying that maybe other people around her were doing it. So she thought, oh, what the hell, I'll do it as well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I can only blame her. As far as I know, no one forced her to take it. So that's it at the end. That's Yeah, there is no one else. The only thing I suppose I can't get to grips with is the fact we don't know who she was, who who she was with. Right. Um, it was a couple of friends that had found her wandering around, basically, and then they'd contacted her sister. So she wasn't actually with, sat with a group of people or anything like that. Okay. Um, and no one's come forward, although I do understand that they are obviously going through their own grief and maybe very worried because of the system and how it is. Maybe if they gave her the pills, they're worried about being arrested themselves as a dealer and things like that, mm. which I think is one of the flaws that's maybe wrong with the whole system. Um, if two people decide to take something and, and one person dies, well, it doesn't make the other person a dealer. It just makes it a huge tragedy that one of them died in the first place or that they both decided to do this together. And I think maybe in, in that sense, a, a lot of things need to change. Um, the dealers are the people that are making the money. Um, they're not the, the mates that are sat together. Yeah. I don't think even the dealers are the people that Joe blogs down the road. It's the people above them, the runners and nobody. It's It goes higher up and unfortunately they they hide yeah. um, and there's loads of kids out there that if you gave them some pills and said if you sell them for whatever price you can keep so much that they're going to do it again it doesn't make them the dealer and yeah, yeah uh, I suppose it's made me think a lot more and it's made me delve into the whole system of drugs a lot more I'm I'm not naive because um, we all did things when we were younger we it's part of growing up, whether you, you nick a bottle of drink out of your mum and dad's cupboard or whatever, it's it's yeah. what you do. But I didn't realise 
that kids now, especially over like this last couple of years, are deciding to take these tablets rather than get drunk. That's, for me, the scary part, that not that drugs are being normalised, but it's becoming, I suppose, the thing to do. Um, and unfortunately, the dealers are obviously, OK, we can knock these out a bit cheaper. At the end of the day, a tablet's a fiver. And that tablet could keep you up all night, whereas drink costs you a lot more. Yeah. Um, and maybe if it's a first time use, that tablet could do two people. So actually it gets you up on £2.50, right. which these days money is, is tight for anybody and everybody. Um, I mean, Georgia was 18. She, was, she could go and buy a drink if she wanted to. So that wasn't the issue. She was working. So again, money wasn't the issue. Um, it's the fact they're choosing to do this rather than have a drink. Um, yeah, that that's that's the worrying bit. And have you? Um, I've seen you know you started a Facebook page, uh, George Jones. Don't go with the flow. And uh, did you start that sort of straight away, or is that something you've come to? What what, what do you? And and you've also got a petition running you know to try and get yeah. something discussed in in parliament once you get to a certain amount of signatories so what what are you sort of hoping to achieve and and come out of it well it all it all started i had a meeting with the people from mutiny luke and neil and we talked to them a lot the, the girls came with me and and we sort of talked through everything with them and he sort of said about testing yeah. and said to me, if we needed your help to sort of maybe get testing through for next year, would you help us? And I said, yeah, of course I will. I've always felt how I feel about drugs. Um, this hasn't changed anything, but I suppose it spurred me to do something. And with that, I sort of, I suppose, taken it and, and rolled with it. Um, hence, I then started the page um, because I thought... These days, Facebook's the way you do things. Yeah. And a lot of kids are on Facebook. The cat is crawling. <laughs> well, I don't know what the cat did, but we lost about a minute and a half of the conversation due to feline curiosity. Once the moggy had moved onto my lap, where she sat for the rest of the conversation, the recording picks up again as Janine was telling me about her wish that there was better information available about how to take drugs more safely. With drugs, there's no one. You, you learn from people you're with. And with teenagers, with drugs, with sex and everything else, it's all presumed that everyone's done everything. And that person went and took 10 tablets the other night and they were up all night. They probably never touched it at all. Yeah. But it then doesn't give the reality to everybody else. So... Say, as far as we know, with Georgia, she took two tablets. Did she take them both together? Did she take one after the other? Don't know. But what they do suggest is that if you're going to do it, you're supposed to take a quarter of a tablet or a nibble off the tablet, see how you act after an hour, and then maybe take a little bit more. You're not supposed to put these things straight in your body to that sort of strength as well. Again, their high strength, what she had. So not only did she maybe double dose herself, but she double dosed herself with something extremely high anyway. Yeah. So she had no chance really. 
and it's it's giving yourself that chance if you're going to do it yeah and are the festival you know did you get the impression that the festival are, are keen to have drug testing or is it the sort of thing that because some festivals have it already haven't they yeah. you know um i've seen the loop doing things at festivals that have already existed and then other festivals seem to say no to them being there i guess it's i don't know whether it's easier to get a license if you have the testing there or make it makes it more difficult it's a bit swings and roundabouts um mutiny do want it we're just waiting to hear back from the final sort of little bit and if that's all okay then yes it is going ahead for next year with the testing and and that's absolutely fine um boomtown have done testing for, i think the last three years and have had extremely good results I know sort of Reading and Leeds were supposed to be having it, then they're not having it and things like that. And I suppose I can see both sides. Obviously, the bonus of having it, like I said, it's that last barrier. It mm. gives someone that last bit of education, a bit of time to think. And again, if you're in a group of kids, six of you have got pills and you're a bit unsure, you can say, well, actually, I'll go and get mine tested. Whereas really, you don't want to get it tested. You just gives you an excuse to get rid of that tablet and not take it so you might have that original peer pressure but it gives you I suppose a get out clause as well without losing face yeah Yeah. Um, the other side is again group of six people three have got red ones three have got blue ones if they maybe think oh we'll get one red one tested and one blue one tested we know the others are okay well again that's not how it works Every single tablet needs to be tested. Mm. Um, and I suppose, again, that's the scary bit. They sort of think, well, if, if people are going to be doing that, well, then it's not working. And then are we giving off the wrong signals because that tablet's been tested? Everyone presumes all the others are exactly the same, yeah. are the same. Whereas, again, this is one of the worrying things they're not. Um, you can have two tablets which look exactly the same. One can be, say, of normal dose, what you'd expect. The other one could maybe be four times stronger or not be MDMA at all. It could be something else. Mm. This is the whole thing. You never know. So with the testing and the harm reduction and everything else, you then bring in the education. And that education is, if you're going to take it, everyone needs to get theirs tested every single tablet, every bit of powder could all be different, whether you've bought it from the same person or six different people, it doesn't matter. It all needs to be tested before you put it in your mouth. Do you think um, it's ever likely that some of these things will be legal so then you do know exactly what's in them? It would be ideal. Um, A lot of people say, why bother? Uh, Drugs are illegal, that's that but you're never going to stop drugs. Mm. They're always going to be around. Alcohol's a drug, but because someone made it legal, it's then regulated, it's safer. Although still thousands of people die from alcohol, um, I don't know, in some way, I suppose people say, well, that's all right then, because it's legal and you've died from it, it's fine. But if you take drugs, there's this stigma, I suppose. Um, People think that a cannabis smoker it's maybe the same as a heroin addict. And it's not, again, all drugs are different. It depends on what high or low you're looking for as to what drug you take. Just because you take an MDMA tablet when you're 14, 16, 
nine as young as sort of people have been found it doesn't mean you're going to be a heroin addict at the age of 18 in the gutter Mm. it doesn't work that way and I suppose as a society it's a thing that needs to change the stigma of drugs needs to change and that way it could then possibly become legal it could become regulated maybe you have to go to a, a pharmacy to go and get one and and things like that where again you could get the education before it's handed over to you but hopefully you'd already have the education at school um to sort of help you along that choice as well yeah yeah i don't think schools have to do any any drugs education no Uh, part of my podcast is trying to think about whether i talk to my children and how you talk to your children you know do you have any thoughts on on that how you know whether it's like my parents never talked to me about sex for example and they certainly didn't talk to me about drugs <laughs> no. so you sort of like you yeah. said earlier you sort of get what you know from other places and maybe that's not good enough for, for yeah. drugs maybe I, th- I think personally I'm trying to get education into schools as well um, and it's not again it's not just the drugs it's drugs and drink and then obviously the sex comes into that as well. It, it, I suppose it's lifestyle and they need to change how they teach lifestyle now. And along with that, I'd like to sort of stick in a bit of basic first aid. Because again, in Georgia's case, she needed to be offered water. Mm-hmm. She needed to, once it had got so far, put in the recovery position. Because she was fitting, a lot of people don't know how to deal with fits. Um, the first thing you want to do is hold them still. Well, that's the worst thing you could possibly do because you then make the internal organs move. Okay. You, you need to allow the body to, to be able to shake and do what it's got to do. And again, if, you sort of, if you're going to take the drug education into schools, you need to teach them right from wrong with it. But they also need to be taught, if it goes wrong, this is what you should do. Mm. Um, I know of cases where... Parents have had phone calls from the police, from um, hospitals, and basically their kids have been found totally on their own, abandoned by their mates, because they're all totally scared of being caught and what went wrong. But again, in schools, if you're sort of taught all that, hopefully, again, you, you can teach what you can teach, but at the time, whatever happens, happens. You can only sort of take it so far yeah in that sense um you said earlier that you sort of would prefer to be on your own in the countryside than in the city i mean uh do you have the appetite you know i feel like you might have now been thrown into this world of discussing with people like me what you think (laughs) about drug policy and what you think about the future for festivals and things i mean do you even want to do that or would you like to quietly not really talk about it anymore or do you you now feel like you want to push and change things I suppose it's given me some drive um, for something that I've always thought I can now maybe hopefully change and put things into into process I suppose yes I'd like to hide away Um, that is my ideal but life throws you these things and for me personally it's helped me a lot there's other members of the family that would rather do things privately although they agree with everything I'm doing and are supporting me 
they'd rather not be at the forefront of mm-hmm. all of that. Whereas I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I like to moan. So it means I can go and moan at people, I suppose, to get my point across um, for something that I do believe in. And like I say, I've always believed in it, but before life sort of, I suppose, you have enough to deal with mm-hmm. anyway. So things like what you believe in doesn't always happen, whereas sort of now I, I can. And it's actually surprised me as to how many other campaigners there are, how many other charities there are that are trying to get the testing in that are doing the testing that are doing the education that are doing these kids teenager groups for drugs and things like that there are a lot of them but still nothing is sort of changing Mm. um society as a whole still has this stigma about drugs and yet all these things are going on and in that sense, sometimes I suppose it makes you feel like you should be hiding. Should I be in the shadows doing all this? Because my daughter died of a drug overdose, even though it's the second time she'd ever taken MDMA. That is what it's classed as. People then think, oh, she must have been a druggie. And and you do, you have that stigma, I suppose, on on how you live your life. And again, that's something that needs to change because... There are loads of people that take drugs. So it's, it's getting worse and worse. And, and until that stigma changes, then everything else isn't going to change. And I think all these little charities, campaigners, need to all start shouting, which they are. To be honest, um, I suppose the tables are starting to turn. The, it's It just needs tipping that little bit more. And I think if everyone sort of starts shouting, it will tip and things will start to change. And and then hopefully things will get a bit better. These people don't need to needlessly die. I'm not saying it will stop all deaths because it won't. But it will help, I think. Thank you for talking to me. (laughs) That's all right. That's brilliant. So it's now May 2019, and as the anniversary of George's death approaches, I thought I should give Janine a call to find out how she's doing now. Hello. Hiya, all right. Oh, thank you. Sorry I missed your call. As I picked it up, it sort of hung off. That's all right. No, um, I, I thought you might have it, it might have come up as a withheld number or something, and you know, whenever you get those on your mobile, you just think, who's this i don't want to answer (laughs) that Um, is very true yeah (laughs) well thanks for chatting to me again Uh, are you all right if we just record a little conversation now of course yeah that's fine um let uh, me just turn the tumble off oh want that in the background there we go oh that's turned off won't have any beeping going on in a minute (laughs) okay yeah, I just I, I've just been listening back to our conversation of uh, I think it was December when we had a chat last time, and I thought, well, five months have passed, so I thought I'd give you a call and see how you were and what things that we talked about then have moved on a bit. So I've been okay. seeing seeing posters for the last few weeks uh, for South Central Festival, the new name for Mutiny, as they start to advertise it quite heavily. How are you feeling as it approaches? Okay. Okay. Um, I've again. I'm still in contact with the the festival owner, so I, I have sort of spoken to him and, and vice versa. I mean, the festival this year is a totally different festival. 
um, the type of music and everything. He's also sort of upped security and welfare and things like that. So he's basically doing all he can this year to hopefully so the same doesn't happen again this year. And hopefully with the change in music and things like that, I suppose you get a different type of person come down to the festival. Yes, there is still house and things like that going on, but it's not all day. It's um, sort of in bits and pieces, half day slots, just to hopefully as well get people to walk around the festival more and and things like that. So you're not just in these tents because they get extremely hot. And if you are doing something silly and you're being in a hot tent, it's obviously going to make things 10 times worse. So now I I feel hopefully optimistic that, yeah, all's been done that can be done. And in our chat, you said that you'd been talking with with the organisers, with the owners of the brand to try and get a drug testing service at this year's event. Were you able to to manage that or, or is that not possible? I haven't got the finalised things for that, so I don't really want to say one way or the other. But I know all has been done to get things in place as it stands. Okay. Is is that because it needs to get sign-off from uh, police and the council and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a very big process with it all, um, to be honest. It's not just, yes, I want to do it, Okay, you can do it. It's, um, yeah, various agencies and and different people that it all involves. But it does sound like you've kept in touch with them to, to kind of heighten the information and the drug awareness, which was what we talked about quite a lot. That was something that you were really keen that, more people had access to more information. Yes, yeah. I'm going myself to the festival that weekend, if I can anyway, mentally, sort of do it. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to be there so I can... I, personally, I've never been to a festival, so um, I feel I can't preach truthfully about something unless I've been there. So for myself, it'd be nice to see all these things in place. Um, Like I said, there's going to be a lot more welfare this year, um, which is people going round, looking out for other people, looking for the signs of things going wrong. And obviously these welfare people have got more information this year as well than what they had last year. And they're going to be on a a higher alert as well for looking out for these signs. So, yeah, you can only do what you can do, unfortunately. The drugs are still going to get in. There's nothing you can do about that. People are still going to take them. There's not a lot you can do about that. But as long as you can sort of have everything else in place, you've sort of done all you can do personally. Yeah, wow, you're going to go for the first time. So obviously one year on since Georgia died. Um, I, that's, that, sounds, that sounds very difficult. How are you feeling about that? Uh, I was hoping, like I said, to do do like the Saturday anyway, which is the day before the anniversary, as a sort of, I suppose, a quest for myself, like I said, to see how everything works and to get myself involved in in everything, um, see how the welfare teams work and things like that. So my mind, hopefully, is going to be preoccupied. The anniversary falls on the Sunday, which we, we might have a small tribute 
thing. Um, but nothing's finalised for that yet. But it will be a small sort of thing. How I'll cope on that day, I don't know. I might be there for half an hour and sort of leave. But I'm hoping I can stick it out. She'd have been there this year. So, yeah, where else could you go, really? Yeah. And, I mean, you live sort of almost in earshot, don't you? So I suppose unless you unless you kind of get a million miles away then uh maybe it's maybe it's better like you said i remember you saying in our conversation uh, last time that you're someone that likes to keep busy and sort of do things to feel like you're uh doing something you know in, in george's legacy so so you're actively um keeping yourself sort of focused on doing stuff rather than uh sitting and uh and letting your thoughts get away from you so maybe being there in the midst of it will help you uh yeah feel like you're making a difference that way hopefully hopefully and hopefully i can moan at a few people about it while i'm there or or get my point across to a few people while i'm there why not do a bit of campaigning while you're having fun as well hopefully anyway <laughs> yeah um, um, if i can stick it out yeah well um yeah gosh good luck for that uh, I spoke to Wendy Teasdale, who I think is someone that you've been in touch with. Yes. Yeah, you know Wendy. And yeah, she's gone back to Boomtown every year since Ellie died. And I think to start with, it was just a half an hour. She kind of dropped in and um, uh, the, the the following year. But then as as the years have passed, she has gone back and done talks and, and you know, been, been a bit more of a sort of spokesperson or an ambassador for various charities um yes yeah so maybe yeah maybe it's just something that you think actually i'm kind of compelled to do this now i want to do it um and how how are the campaigns that you've started going that that don't go with the flow uh, page on on facebook and things is there still a is, is that still something that you're trying to keep going and, and is there a focus to it Definitely. Um, the, the campaign is very much um, educational based. I believe that if you can sort of tell people how things really are with drugs, um, rather than this just say no, that doesn't work, at least then you, they've got information that they can take home and sort of deal with things um, realistically. I've got parent talks planned. Um, I have spoken to a, a few small groups of um, various people which seem to have gone very well. I've been to a few sort of talks myself to listen to what other people are doing as far as drug education. And there's a lot of, um, I've been doing a lot of sort of background work with Portsmouth PSHE lead and there's be hopefully lots of things happening sort of come next school year which just need finalising. So again, we can sort of get into schools, hopefully do talks with parents and carers, social workers, foster carers, all that sort of thing, just so sort of everyone can have that information. Um, I'm hoping to make it available to absolutely everyone as well, doing a bit of fundraising, etc., cetera, um, to get these things out there, because um, not everyone can pay to have someone come in not everyone can pay to have the information given to them so if, if i can do what i can for free via fundraising as well yeah they've been very very busy the festival side of things is more a, a personal quest i suppose although the two sort of do link in and always will 
the campaign is very much with was said with the, the education and my personal thing is hopefully getting more festivals aware and, and making them realise they have to do that little bit more as well. Yeah, and and I think um, maybe what you were hinting at, without being able to you know, reveal whether the drug testing sort of service can go on, is that, is that there's a lot of other people that need to start thinking a bit more progressively as well. So, the I mean, I think a lot of police forces and a lot of local authorities do seem to agree that the multi-agency substance testing thing at festivals is a is a good thing but it i guess yeah. not every area and not every festival organizer not every police chief constable agrees so it, it doesn't happen across the board yet um, no no there's there's still a lot of stigma um when it comes to drugs um everyone sort of believes and, and thinks that if you do one thing you're going to end up as a I suppose that the heroin addict that we all imagine that we see on the telly and things like that, and it's it's not like that. And this is where the the education comes in. People need to realise that if I go and take an MDMA tablet one day, I, I yes, things obviously could go horrendously wrong, but it doesn't mean that I am necessarily going to go down that path. Um, and I believe that if we get rid of this stigma around drug taking and everyone starts talking about it more and talks about it truthfully, then people can hopefully move on a bit more um, and do these things to help people out rather than, I suppose, brushing it all under the carpet and t- trying to forget it doesn't even happen because that doesn't help anybody in the long run. No, and, and I'm, I think that there can just be a moment where it all changes. You know, if you think back to when smoking in, in pubs and public places was suddenly banned, then it totally changed. Everyone, everyone went, oh, this is loads better. <laughs> this yeah. is, this yeah. is nice. We can, we can go into this restaurant and we can eat a meal and the guy on the next table won't light up a fag halfway through my pudding. You know, it's, you could see a time where in a few years just the whole conversation and the whole approach to going to festivals could just be much more safety-focused rather than criminalisation focused. Yes, definitely. And and I think that's the only way anything's going to change is changing those select few people at the top that, that do sort of influence a lot of things um, in the area. Yeah. Well, I saw um, that you've got a crowdfunding page for the you know, for the campaign to, to you know, raise a bit of money to pay for the, the, you know, the project going into schools, doing the education thing. So I'll put links to, to that on the podcast intro page. And I saw, Thank speaking you. of podcasts, that you'd done another one with some of the, the big hitters from the, the drug reform world, Professor Fiona Meesham and Professor David Nutt for, for drug science. So how was that, having a, having a conversation with them? A bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, they're, they're they're quite high up in the, in the world of sort of drug awareness and and that sort of thing. And there's little old me who, who's not anywhere near them. Um, it was very interesting, to be honest, and I was very privileged to do that. Um, I think it comes out in a couple of months, which obviously I will share on the page when it does. But yes, yeah, I was um, very lucky to be involved in things like that. Well, yeah, I don't know about lucky. You've got that very sad sort of that sad status of of someone with with obviously a very personal involvement now in drug awareness, drug education because of what happened to Georgia. So it's a sort of a rather yeah, a rather horrible 
poison chalice that you've got but i guess you speaking personally can be quite powerful then can't you in in, in the things that you say no, no one can really argue with you because of the personal experience if you think that better drug education could save more children because it wasn't available to georgia then no one can really question your your choice so you're you're a very powerful speaker but it's a, a, a it must be a strange position to find yourself in definitely um and one that god you never imagine happening either it's been quite a scary place but obviously i've had a lot of help and a lot of encouragement through people like yourselves um, as I've gone through um, and sort of people pointing me in in certain directions and sending me on my way and then I can sort of take the next step myself because I I haven't got a clue what I'm doing and I haven't from day one. All I know is that people need to be more aware and so I've had a lot of help along the way doing that. So people saying this is how it should be or this is how it shouldn't be, this is what you should think. But until you've had that experience um, and, and dealt with it firsthand, then you don't know, you don't realise. Uh, I never realised how bad the the recreational drug problem was. And I don't think many people do, to be honest. It's one of those things that we all know is around. That's sort of it. We we close the door on it and pretend it doesn't happen. And, and things need to change. And like I said, we need to talk about it more to make people realise how bad this problem is before it gets too much worse, because it will get worse before it gets better, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah. There's already been numerous children die this year, um, 14, two, I think two 14-year-olds and two 16-year-olds within the space of a month already this year um, in the festival season and the lighter evenings and all that hasn't happened yet. And there'll be a lot more, I'm afraid. One of the things that you said that I found really heartbreaking when I listened back to it was um, about Georgia at Mutiny, when she was uh, found by a couple of friends who then got in touch with uh, her sister, and she was on her own. She was sort of wandering and and wasn't with anyone. And I, I just want for me to tell my children that they might tell some of their mates and and other people will do the same so that when you're at a festival and you you stick with your mates whether they're taking anything whether you're taking anything or not but you know you you look after each other and by not being scared of the fact that oh my mates are going to take some pills well even if you're not and that might be the most sensible thing to do you're going to be the the one that isn't taking them but stay stay with them make sure that they're okay and and because I just, I just think if you're if you're leaving people without information and maybe leaving them on their own, then that's that's when tragedies are more likely to happen. Yeah, I mean this is uh, all part and parcel of things that need to change. Unfortunately, people are scared to talk um, and say what happened because they're scared of being arrested as a drug dealer. And I personally believe that's what happened in her case. People are just far too scared instead of going to get that help where maybe they could hopefully do something. I think personally in George's case that wouldn't have helped her either way but if you get the help sooner, if you stay together, if you if you sort of let these paramedics etc know exactly what people have taken they can be helped a lot sooner, a lot quicker and you can have a different outcome. I've heard horrible stories of um, one particular was a 14 year old lad who'd gone to the park and 
painting some dogs with his friends. And again, they were scared when things went wrong. A passerby found this lad on the street sitting, all on his own. If she hadn't found him, it, he might not have been here today. And again, it's because people are scared. They do these things without realising what can go wrong. And when it does go wrong, they don't stay together, which again is, is part of, like I said, the, the bigger picture. The, they're so scared of being arrested as a drug dealer and tried and go to prison than stay with their mate and help their mate and stop their mate from dying. Again, it's a horrible, scary truth that's going on out there every day. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing and I hope South Central goes brilliantly this time and especially for you. I hope it's I hope it's an all right experience and sort of uh, helpful if it can be and, and certainly I hope it's... Um, I hope it passes without any incident this year. Hopefully, yeah. That's all we can do is hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and I think you're, you're you're doing more than hope. You're doing some brilliant work and um, putting yourself out there in quite a, a, a vulnerable position. And uh, I, I, you know, I think it's um, very brave and, and brilliant what you're doing. So, um, well thank done. Thank you and, very much. And uh, thank you for talking to me again. And um, yeah, well, we'll be in touch. And um, yeah, hope it goes well this year. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Janine. Bye. You take care. Bye-bye. A little postscript to that conversation. I know Janine sounded a bit cautious there, and I think she was about talking about the drug testing at the festival. She didn't want to whip up adverse publicity ahead of the event. But I have had it confirmed from the organisers of the new South Central Festival that the Loop drug testing charity will be there. Now, I agree completely with Janine that open conversations with our children is one of the best ways to prevent drug harm. So I'm starting young and this week I'm having chats with both my daughters and this is Coco, who's 11. Hello. You've been asking me to be a part of this podcast for ages. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you for doing the excellent whinge voice at the beginning of the podcast. Welcome. Dad does... (laughs) Oh, which is very good. So everyone hears you each week. Why did you want to be on this bit of the podcast? I don't know, really. I just wanted to, like, be on it so then people can hear me. <laughs> okay. Because um, it's fun, I guess. Yeah. So describe to me what you think of uh, if I say drugs. Uh, like medicine. Mm-hmm. And plants, I think. Mm-hmm. Different types of plants. Uh, mm. Yeah. Do you know the names of any drugs that you've heard of? I think tobacco. Yeah. And I think there's one that begins with M, but I forgot the name. Like, um, uh, I forgot what it is, but I've heard it before. Okay. I think, I don't know, I might be getting muddled up. Oh, marijuana? Yeah, that yeah. marijuana. Yeah. But that, I think that's all. Okay. Uh, yeah, those are all drugs. Yeah, well done. Tobacco is what's in cigarettes. That's the yeah. that's the leaf. It's a big leaf. Grow, oh. Grows in America, and um, you dry it and roll it up, and put it and they put it in cigarettes. Yeah. Same in cigars as well. Uh, marijuana is uh, the Mexican name for cannabis. So have oh. you ever heard of cannabis? Yeah. Yeah. So that's an illegal drug. People smoke that as well. Yeah. Yeah. What did you want to say? You don't have to put your hand up. You can just talk. <laughs> uh, didn't we have that in our loft? Yeah. 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 You're right. So when we moved in here, the people, either before us or the people before them, 
had been growing cannabis cannabis in the in the roof and there was all those power packs and lights and things like that in there yeah. wasn't there and they were growing it uh, illegally to sell it so oh. i think there was a, a a bit of a spate i don't know if it happens so much anymore but there was a bit of a spate of people setting up cannabis farms in their loft yeah uh, so it's hidden away so if you come in you don't see it but you can because cannabis will grow with bright lights on it it needs to be warm and it needs to have really bright lights so they that's why all that electric power stuff was for there yeah yeah so marijuana is just that is another name for cannabis and it's it's the mexican name so have you seen drug things in films or tv shows have you heard them mentioned yeah tell riverdale. me tell me about the riverdale story they one have one called jingle jangle right and and it's like a straw right and you put it in your drink and you drink it and then all the stuff goes into your mouth. With the drink, so it's yeah. on the inside of the straw. Okay, and what does Jingle Jangle do to the people that take it? Makes your mouth go frothy. Okay. And then you turn like a devil. Oh, okay. So it's a bad drug? Yeah, it's a very bad drug. Okay. Don't uh, want to take it. No, okay. Because they give it to you because it looks like just a normal straw. Right. They drink it. And they're um, like... Ah! Why, um... Why are people poisoning people with Jingle Jangle? For money. They're selling it. There's some people... <laughs> so there's some people who are selling it. Right. Just to get money. Yeah. But why do people want to buy it? Because normally people... Like they know, as in they put it in the shops. Yeah. They sell it to the shopkeepers to sell it as normal straws. Okay. And then... So they give them a straw. So they're just baddies wanting to poison people for some reason. Yes. Okay, all right, fair enough. And was there a moral to the story at the end of that episode? Did, did, did the people selling Jingle Jangle straws get arrested or...? No. Okay. I, didn't re- I can't really remember. <laughs> um, apart from Jingle Jangle, uh, have you heard about any other drugs have there been any drugs lessons at school or anything like that in year four i think okay i can't i think so yeah can you remember any of it was just about like medicine and tablets and cigarettes yeah that was really it so i just talked to hattie about uh, what drugs are and the fact that drugs is another word really for medicine yeah. Just something that you put in your body that has an effect on it. And the safety message I gave her was, you know, never take anything that you don't, that isn't for you. Yeah. And never take anything that you don't know what it is. So if, it, if you see a tablet, don't think, oh, that looks like a Tic Tac. I'll eat it. <laughs> because it might, um, it could be really terrible for you. Yeah. Especially when you're a child, because you've only got a little body and it could end up doing you a lot of harm. As well as medicine, drugs is a word that, we use just for things that we put in our body that have an effect on us and that might be a health effect or it might be a pleasurable effect so that's what people take drugs for is because they think oh that feels nice yeah so alcohol is a drug so yeah people have a drink of alcohol because they like it it's relaxing and it makes them feel happy or calmer or a bit more chilled out and that's a really sociable drug that we have in this country lots of things adult social life kind of revolves around should we have a drink yeah tobacco is a drug and smoking is one of those things that used to be really popular 
Yeah. And it's slowly becoming less popular just because it's so bad for you. Yeah. To start with, people didn't realise how bad it was. But now we know that it gives you cancer, so... Yeah, bad. Most people don't... bad. Um, yeah. Then, then the drugs that are illegal are uh, varied. Some of them are really, really deadly and you should never touch them. And then other ones, uh, like cannabis, people do uh, use it even though they're breaking the law and it's sort of not... You know, there's different scales of drugs. Yeah. So some could be like almost deadly, like a poison if you took them, especially when you're little. Yeah. Uh, and then some of them aren't. But because they're illegal, it's best not to, really. Some of them are good, like cowpole. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots of medicines are really positive. So you get medicines Apart that... If you take them when you can't, you're not supposed to. Mm. You take too much. I think that's not good. No, you can overdose on... on... Most drugs can be either... So someone's drug can be their medicine, and it could be perfect for them. Yeah. Uh, but it could, in another person, it could be a poison. And, mm. and and dose is really important. So if you take too much of a medicine, then it could go from being a helpful thing to being a deadly thing. Yeah. So paracetamol, the the, the ingredient in Calpol, uh, if you take too much of that, you can die. So you have to just you have to read the packet. You know that's why yeah. they have labels on uh, um, to keep people safe. And even on alcohol, it says they have on the bottle how much you should have in a day don't have more than this in a week if you're pregnant yeah. don't have any you know so lots of safety messages and the reason we only sell alcohol to people who are 18 or over is because it's quite dangerous you know if you have yeah. too much of it it would, it would be really uh, really bad and then the other illegal drugs that you might hear about they're bad for your health they're illegal which is very bad for your health because if you get yeah. arrested you get in trouble but the most important thing, even if you know someone is doing something that's naughty, illegal, or just trying cigarettes or anything, if you ever want to stop or you ever think, oh, I'm a bit scared, I don't like this, then you don't have to do anything yeah. that anyone else is doing. Isn't like smoking addictive? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mo most, not most, some drugs, if you take them, they become addictive, so... Yeah, uh, and that might be not like not like a physically addictive thing where you can't stop taking them, but it's just you get into a habit, you get into a routine of doing it. Yeah, like you're in a habit of never picking up towels off the floor, <laughs> and it's quite hard to break that habit. And if you are in the habit of having a beer with your dinner in the evening, yeah. you might not be addicted to the beer, but you kind of go, hmm, it's dinner time. I think I'll have a beer. Yeah. Like I am with coffee in the morning. Or, yeah. Yeah. What What you should always remember. What I would like like you to always remember is that uh, if you're ever in a party or you're ever at a place where people are drinking or smoking or taking drugs, and you think I don't like this, I want to get out, you can always ring. Yeah. Or just go home, and, and you'll never get told off for being safe. Yeah. By anyone really, but certainly not by me. Yeah. And if you're ever worried about anyone, if you think someone's been drinking or smoking or taking something and they've got ill, then again, the, just ring ring 999 or ring me yeah. and then and then keep people safe is the most important thing. Yeah. And you won't get told off for doing that. Is there anything else that you think of that is uh, 
that you wanted to ask about drugs? I feel like I had something, but I forgot it, mm. which is annoying. I can't really think of anything. Well, that's okay. You're only 11, so hearing about, seeing, hearing people talk about drugs is probably not something that'll happen until you're at secondary school and then people, you just start to hear conversations. Yeah. It's often more of a boy thing. Yeah, because some boys in my class, they're always joking about tobacco and stuff. Right. And it's just annoying. Well, there is something about boys' behaviour when they're teenagers that makes them slightly behave slightly differently. Not all of them. And so they tend to want to take risks, try things in a way that girls might not do. But plenty of girls take drugs and plenty of and certainly loads of girls drink and smoke. Smoking is something that if I if I was to give you any bit of advice about lifestyle, I would definitely say don't start smoking. Yeah. And the big thing is just do what you want to do. Don't do what other people might be trying to tell you, whether it's a friend or a group of friends or a boyfriend. You don't have to um Yeah. You don't have to do what they're doing. If they want to smoke, let them smoke. You can just be healthier and choose not to. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me. Welcome. That's probably it. Yeah. Good. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Let me know what you think. I think it's essential that we talk to our kids about drugs. Uh, When I chat to my 13-year-old, my son, I've chosen to be honest about my own use of illegal drugs. With the girls there, I didn't feel that was necessary yet. Um, But I think I probably will as they get older. Um, More explicit drug chat is probably going to become more relevant. I'm happy to have started the dialogue already and I hope to kind of keep it open, keep a good relationship with them so they can talk to me about all sorts, really. Next week, more from the fantastic drugs, science and psychology communicator, Dr Susie Gage. She's host of the podcast Say Why to Drugs blogger for The Guardian, winner of I'm a Scientist, Get Me Out of Here, and she'll be talking about her fascinating research, why she loves doing it, and she'll also give lots of advice for parents worried about their kids smoking cannabis. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Share, rate, tweet about it, keep subscribing, download again next week. It's a date. See you then. Bye. Bye.